Man, you look good today. Some of you look better than others. But isn't that always the case? <laughs> so good to be with you today. Last week, Bruce Headley came and he delivered an incredible word and a, an incredible challenge to Lifehouse Church. Bruce represents Convoy of Hope, which to me is probably the greatest uh, charitable organization in the world. Uh, the things that they do around the world, uh, even now in my home state of Mississippi, because see, nobody's an Ole Miss fan because like they chose it, right? You got to be born into that, right? Um, and uh, amen. <laughs> be quiet. You weren't born in Pennsylvania. I don't think. <laughs> I was born in winter. You were born in winter. Okay. Um, even in my home state of Mississippi right now, Jackson, Mississippi, uh, if you've been watching the news, you know that there are over 200,000 residents in the capital of Mississippi that do not have any running water whatsoever. I don't know for sure if it's been restored yet, but immediately Convoy is sending 18 wheelers filled with bottled water and, and, and essentials for living because, I mean, I'm talking like you can't even flush a toilet in town. Does that, you, that's, that's a real, that's, that's a crisis. That's a, that's a humanitarian crisis and Convoy even ahead of the government is one of the first ones on the scene. So the challenge that he gave to us last week that, is that we would take a year salary and divide it by 240 because the average person in America works 240 days out of the year. Some of y'all are thinking, I'll work way more than that, but go ahead. And that was the challenge. And so if you can meet that challenge, even if, if it's a little difficult for you to meet that challenge, I encourage you to step out of what is easy and what is comfortable and to do the math even if you need to. Maybe the Holy Spirit would even lead you to go above and beyond that. Um, and if you do the math and you think there is no way I can give that, I understand. God understands, let me say it that way. Um, but give what you can give. None of the money you give in this offering in just a few moments will stay at LifeHouse, but every bit of it will go to Convoy as a seed offering. Because see, when you plant a seed, God gives you a harvest. That's just, that is, as, that is the law of seed time and harvest, which is just as effective as the law of gravity. This law of seed time and harvest, he told Noah, when he came out of the ark, he said the, uh, the, the law of seed time and harvest will always stand. So as you get ready to give, check out this short video we have for you. By supplying food kits um, to women, children, even babies. Our agricultural programs have been helping families like this, and they have their radish and cilantro cultives that have helped their family through COVID. Thank you. Gracias. Thank you for partnering with Conway of Hope. Thank you for giving your one day to feed the world. So as our ushers get ready to come, 
the initiative that we are participating in is called the One Day Initiative or the One Day to Feed the World. And like I said earlier, it's where we take one day of our earnings and we say, I wanna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sow this as a seed into this ministry because for every $120 that we give today in this offering, we are feeding one child for an entire year. And that's, that's real numbers. The, these aren't like the weird percentages where we wonder if the numbers really add up to what they add up. No, that's not how it works with Convoy. When you give into Convoy for a specific reason, it is used for that purpose and for that goal in mind. So as you get ready to give, you can give uh, by check, you can give by cash, you can give online. And we don't do a lot of special offerings around here, but when, when we do them, uh, we do them because we feel that there is a great need and there's a great purpose, and this is a great opportunity. So I wanna encourage you to participate in some way, shape, or form in this today. If you need to give online, you can go to lifehouse.info slash give, and you can give, you can give right now, you can give later this week. Just mark it one day. You can put in the memo there one day, and, and whatever you give, 100% of that will go straight to Convoy of Hope. It's not for us. It is, this isn't about our church today. This is about showing the world. I thought I would get a few more than that. This is about showing not Oak Ridge, not Anderson County, not the Knoxville area. This is about showing the world that they are loved and highly valued. And so if we're going to preach it, we got to walk it. Amen. So, Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to give and to sow into this ministry. We pray, God, for every dollar given that a life will be changed. And, Lord, we don't give today to get, but we do understand the biblical principle of seed time and harvest time. And so, Father, as we give and we pray your blessings on this offering, Lord, we thank you in advance for the harvest of souls that we will see saved in this church and through the people of this church because of our obedience to you and our participation with your word and being obedient to what it says. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. excited to be a part of this ministry. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Give the Lord, give the Lord praise for the ability to partner with organizations like Convoy. As you get your Bible open to Matthew chapter five, in case you walked in after announcements and in case you're wondering what is going on at this church and why is the guy up there wearing an Ole Miss baseball jersey? 
Uh, it's Jersey Sunday, and obviously I'm a big Ole Miss baseball fan because Chad had to text me five minutes before the national championship game was over and be like, hey, are you watching this? And I said, watching what? Watching, because I didn't know, because that's how committed I am to college baseball. But uh, I was excited to find out that they won. Hopefully in a few years, there's no NCAA investigation into that, as there usually seems to be when Ole Miss does well. We'll find out, though. Time will tell. Tennessee fans, you cannot laugh at that. You know you can't laugh at that. Uh, Alabama fans shouldn't laugh at that because, the, you know what I'm saying. Make a deal with the devil. Anyway, anyway. Um, it is Jersey Sunday, and we're going to have fun with that. We got a cookout right after church. Yeah. Wow. Seriously? I said we got, you don't have to pay for food. How about that? Yeah. And uh, it's going to be good stuff. Thank you, Lindsay, for getting this together. And if it's not great, then it's your fault. Uh, no, it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> it really is. It's going to be fantastic. No, so usually on the first Sunday of the month, we take communion. However, this week, we've decided to wait until next week when we launch our second service format so that we can, yeah, come on, so that we can partake of the Lord's Supper together is sort of just this, you know, point of celebration of what God has done. Uh, this time five years ago, I would never have imagined the need to go to two services. I would have hoped for it. I would have dreamed for it. But to be very honest with you, as I looked around and honestly, as I looked even within myself, I thought, ah, maybe, uh, I don't know. But I'm so thankful today that many of you who walked in uh, a little late, you know, you know, a little late, you were like, you know, where are we going to sit? Where are we going to go? I'm so thankful for that. Aren't you thankful for a church? You should be. You really should be thankful to be part of a church where you have to look around for a seat, um, where people are excited to worship, where people are excited to be part of what God is doing. And so hopefully next week, at least for a few weeks, uh, you won't have to look for a seat. But I'm just believing God that it won't be long before even then you'll be thinking, man, where am I going to sit? I showed up at 9.05 and I don't know where to go now, right? Yeah. So I'm believing God for greater things even than this. Amen? Amen. You got your Bibles open to Matthew 5? Say amen. amen. You got your, your phone Bible app open to Matthew 5? Say amen. 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 Feel like I'm at a concert, everybody waving at me. We are wrapping up our series on the Beatitudes today, talking about how Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted. And if I could be honest with you, this was a tough one because we don't really know a lot about persecution unless you came from California recently. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. That was a bad joke. That was, that was low hanging fruit there. Truth is true. <laughs> um, it was funny, though. <laughs> uh, and and th this was a little difficult for me. Um, but, you know, I believe the Lord gave me a word, and, and I believe it's going to bless you. I believe it's going to encourage you, and I hope that you'll even be challenged a little bit. So this is what Jesus says, starting with verse 1. He says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. It doesn't say blessed are those who are persecuted because they do dumb things, right? Not, it doesn't say blessed are those who are persecuted because they make bad decisions. It says blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And that's key. Because of me, not because of themselves, but because of me. And then Jesus says something that is so hard sometimes to put into practice. Because the, I don't know about you, but when somebody insults me, when somebody persecutes me, whether it be because of Jesus, which has happened a few times in my life, if I'm being really honest with you, not that much. I don't think many of us know a lot about real persecution. But, but, but when, when things happen to me and insults come to me because of things that I've done or because of things that I have said, my knee-jerk reaction is not to do the next thing that Jesus says do. He says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Man, if we could just get a picture of how small this life is in comparison to the life that is yet to come, how differently would we live? Come on, how, how much more would we value the investment that we are making into eternity versus the investment that we are making into today? If we could get the full picture of what eternity really looks like in comparison to this life that we are living right now. He says, great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says, when you're persecuted, rejoice and be glad because you are adding up, you are storing more treasures in heaven because if you're being persecuted for righteousness, if you're being persecuted for Jesus, then you must obviously be doing profitable things for the kingdom because Satan doesn't bother somebody who's not giving him a fit. You hear me? And he says, so when, when that happens, rejoice. Don't rejoice because you're being persecuted. Rejoice because you know that in the life to come, there is great treasure awaiting you. And, rejo and you know what that great treasure usually is? It's not a mansion. It's not streets of gold. Those things are so menial and minuscule to the real treasure that heaven has for us. You know what the real treasure heaven has for us? It's for somebody to walk up to you and say, hey, you don't even know me, but you gave in a one-day offering. You gave what you could give, 
in this organization called Convoy of Hope came to my village and they began to feed us and they began to teach us the gospel and they would not have been able to have done it and I would have never given my life to Jesus had you not been obedient in that small thing. Come on guys, celebrate the Lord in that. It's the small things that are really the big things. Jesus says, great is your reward in heaven, not your mansion, not your crown. We're going to take that crown and throw it at his feet anyway. The two greatest rewards in heaven are getting to see him face to face and being able to see the ones that through us, God impacted for eternity. And then he says, and also just remember, when you're persecuted, remember Jeremiah, remember Elijah, Remember Isaiah? Remember John the Baptist? Hey, remember me. I mean, if the world couldn't get along with the most righteous man to ever live, how can we expect the world to get along with us? Come on, what did they do to Jesus? So, Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that over the next few minutes that you would help me to speak only what you would have me speak to say what only you would have me say. God, I pray that above the points of a sermon or, or the exegesis of a scripture or the application of some illustration, that through the power of your spirit, that you would be the one who speaks directly to us and that through your word to us today, our hearts minds and lives would be changed in Jesus name amen you're supposed to give the Lord another hand clap of praise when I say amen yeah yeah amen so what I want to do today in addition to talking a little about a little bit about persecution is kind of put a bow on the Beatitudes altogether because what I have come to understand in my study of them is that number one, not many people preach on the Beatitudes because they are difficult to talk about because they are A, hard to understand and B, hard to live out, if we're being very honest. The, I, the, the message I'm preaching starting next week, the series is, is called James. And y'all, I'm really excited about James. It's probably, it may be my favorite book in the Bible. I don't know, Galatians gives it a run for its money. But uh, what I love about James is that it is so practical. Like I can read something in James and then apply it in my life that day. But compared to the Beatitudes, I read it and the first thing I think is, wow, that's really hard. That's really difficult. How can I be excited about being meek? I don't want to be meek. I want to be strong. I want to be bold. I want to be outspoken. And the reason why we think that is because, number one, we don't really understand what meekness is. So go back a few weeks and listen to that message, and you'll understand it better. Uh, but what I also love about James is there is there are more resources covering the book of James that I could read in my lifetime in addition to the actual book of James. But when I go and I'm thinking, okay, I want to look up resources on the Beatitudes, it is like microscopically thin. Um, that's, that, there's not a lot there. So, but I'm very thankful the Holy Spirit led us here, led me here for my sake, because even if this series hasn't been a blessing to you, it's been a blessing to me. 
and has impacted my life dramatically is I have been forced to study these Beatitudes, read them every single week, pray over them and pray through them. And as we read through the Beatitudes, we, we learn a, a few things about them. I got a, a lot of points today, but they're all kind of sporadic and they'll be pretty quick today. So fried chicken is coming. And for you guys that are, you know, on keto, baked chicken is coming. So you'll be all right, okay? So we, we, we thought about you. And uh, so anyway, number one, the, the Beatitudes, number one, they are proclamations. You see, they are, they are truths. They are not feelings, They are, let me say it like this, they are statements of faith. This is going to seem weird to some of you. They are not statements of fact. Because God's truth always supersedes humanity's facts, right? You see, we, we can either, and I preached this message a long time ago. I want to preach it again because I liked it so much. We can either, we can live by truth we can live by, or excuse me, we can live by facts, we can live by fear, or we can live by faith. You see, fact is the language of this earth, the language of this world. Fact says this is, this is what it is, so that's how it is, and that's how fact operates. Fact sees what it is and calls it like it is. Fear sees what could go wrong and calls it like that. And so if fact is the language of earth, then fear is the language of hell. But the language of heaven is faith. Faith sees it as it is. It doesn't deny the reality of what is in this moment, but it also sees what it could be if God had his way in it and with it. And so the Beatitudes, as we read them, it's so easy for us to become discouraged as we read through that list and we see, man, I don't, I don't really, none of these things come natural to me. But see, we're to read them by faith, not by feeling, not by fact, and certainly not by fear. And to see what God could do in me and through me if he had his perfect way with me. Number two, the Beatitudes are paradoxical. And if you're like me, the first time I ever heard that word was on Back to the Future. When Doc's talking to Marty about creating a paradox in the space-time continuum. Some of y'all don't even know. Here's the deal. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom compared to the kingdom of this world. You see, like, if the world wrote these, if, if, if humanity wrote these, instead of saying, blessed are the poor, it would say, blessed are the wealthy. Right? Because the wealthy can buy what they want to buy. Right? It would even say this, blessed are the wealthy because then they can give a lot and do a lot of good. But you see, the thing is, God doesn't need your money. He needs your obedience. Or rather, I should say it like this, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't even need your obedience. He wants your heart. And so he doesn't say, uh, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the wealthy because then they can give $10,000 to Convoy of Hope or whatever. No, he says, blessed are the poor who realize that they cannot live without depending on me. And then as they depend on me for their sustenance, then when I bless them, instead of holding on to it with closed fists, they will live under an open heaven with open hands and I can use them as a conduit because they realize their job is not their source. Their bank account is not their source. Dave Ramsey isn't their source of information, right? I mean, I'm not dogging. He's got good stuff. He, they'll understand that God is my source. God is my provider. So everything I got came from him. So if he's 
he's given it to me, who am I to hold on to it? And we're talking about time, talent, and treasure, right? Your time, your schedule, your calendar, it's not yours in the first place. Your talent, your skill set, your availability, your energy, everything you have is a gift from God. And so Jesus says, blessed are the poor. And then he says, blessed are the meek. But the world would say, these are my words here, I think the world would say, blessed are the cunning. Right? Because then they can manipulate the systems. So that, that way they can work the system to get what they want. That way they can, they can make things happen behind the scenes. But Jesus says, blessed are the meek because they understand ultimately I'm the one in control. And so instead of trying to make it happen, they surrender, right? They don't fight like this, they fight like this, right? We, we don't fight our battles with our fists. We, I fight my battles with my praise. Some of y'all keep living in defeat because you won't worship. Mm. You keep living, you keep living in depression because you won't worship and praise and faith. And, and so what you do is you come to church on Sunday morning and, and you stand like this and you think to yourself, I don't have anything to praise God about. I don't, I don't really feel like worshiping. And in that moment, what you've done is you've made yourself your God because you are allowing your feelings to control your worship instead of your faith and the one who made you and the one who redeemed you. And so you're going to continue to reap what you sow. When you sow defeat, you're going to reap defeat. When you sow depression, you're going to reap depression. You know, you keep planting that garbage, you're going to keep getting a harvest. <clears throat> My throat is not cooperating. Y'all pray for me. You're going to get a harvest of that garbage. But if you'll say, you know what? I don't give a rip how I feel. He's worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my shout. He's worthy of my worship. I'm not going to worship me today. I'm going to worship him today. That's when you'll start seeing victory in your life. That's when you'll start seeing an overcoming spirit come out of your life because you refuse to be controlled by what you can't control. And instead, you surrender yourself to God in a spirit of meekness and saying, Lord, I don't have it, but you do. I'm not going to fight like this. I'm going to fight like this. And that's what it means to be a paradox. You know, the world would say, that's stupid, that's silly. You don't win by surrender. You win by fighting. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after power, the world might would say, because then, then they'll have great influence and they can do good with the influence that they have attained. But that's not what Jesus said. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after God, after righteousness. And lastly, the, and this was new to me. I never saw this before this week. The Beatitudes are progressive. The Beatitudes are progressive. Each one builds on the other. Now, some of you who know the Bible better than me, you're probably thinking, well, duh, Drew, yeah, of course they're progressive. But, and I know it's simple, I just never saw it before this week, that each beatitude builds on the preceding beatitude. So if you are, if you are poor in spirit, you will become meek. And if you become meek, you will hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will become merciful. And if you become 
merciful, you will become a peacemaker. And then it culminates in this final beatitude that we're talking a little bit about today. And if you embody all the beatitudes, if you do all of the things, you will be persecuted. It is a natural progression of the way the Beatitudes work, that as you continue to embody these internal characteristics that God, you see, God doesn't, God is not concerned about you keeping a list of do's and don'ts. But that's what we do, right? A lot of us, we like to boil Christianity down to, you know, not cussing a lot, uh, you know, not kicking animals, um, you know, not lying on our taxes. I mean, some people don't even go that far. Anyway, uh, you know, that's what we do. We try to dumb down what it means to follow Jesus by saying, here's the list of don'ts. Don't cuss, don't hit my wife, you know, don't stab people that cut in front of me at line at, at, at Walmart checkout. You know, uh, I don't mean that's, you know, that's, a, that's hard for me to, anyway. Um, so I don't carry a knife anymore. I've, I've abstained, I've fleed from the, anyway, you guys aren't having fun with me today. It's just me by myself. I see how it is. I'll, that's okay. Yeah, but that's what we do. I'm having fun, and you understand that. But, but here's my don't list, and here's my do list. Now, here's my, my do list. Okay, I got to read the Bible. Now, I need to pray. You know, maybe I should every so often tell people about Jesus instead of, you know, saying, oh, I can get to read my Bible. Because there is, you know, so many millions of people all around the world who do not have access to a Bible, that if they were caught with the Bible, they would be thrown in jail and possibly executed. But here I am, I can pull up 117 different translations just on my phone. You know, so, so that's what we like to make Christianity about. But Jesus right here in the very first public sermon he has ever preached, he's not giving a list of do's and don'ts. He's giving a list of heart transformational goals. Allow me to help you become a person of meekness. Allow me to help you become a person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Because Jesus knows that if you will be transformed on the heart level by the power of the Holy Spirit, the list will take care of itself. The do's and don'ts will not be a burden for you. They will be a delight to you. I don't, I don't want to do the things I used to do before Christ. But, and you know, I, when I get to read my Bible, you can ask my wife, it is not like, oh, I got to read. I enjoy reading the word. I don't always understand it. I'm just like some of you. I don't understand how protein synthesizes in my body either. But I still like to eat steak, okay? I love it. It's good for me. I, know, I don't know how it works, but it's good, right? I, I enjoy getting to spend time in his presence. And when I don't do it, let's say that, let's just say maybe every so often your pastor succumbs to human things and he doesn't always pray and read his Bible like he should or would even want to. Man, when those things happen, I can tell it. Just like if I were to go an entire day without eating, man, I start getting hungry and I start getting hangry, right? And things in me start acting out of line of things that I know that need to, to be different. Jesus is saying, let me change you from the inside out that you would become a person who isn't poor in your bank account, but is poor in spirit, who understands that everything you have, you have it because he's given it to you. Become a person who mourns 
not because you're depressed or sad, but because you see so much of what God needs to do in this world and you're so desperate to be used, even just a little bit by him, to see it come and become a reality. And then the list goes on and, is, and the last one is that you would be a peacemaker and then you will be called a child of God. And if you would do all of these things, Jesus tells us you will be persecuted. Blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is the only beatitude that you do not choose to pursue. It pursues you. Does that make sense? Nobody's ever prayed, God, please let me be persecuted. If they have, they're crazy. You don't have to pray to be persecuted. If you start living this kind of life, persecution will be the natural product of it. Jesus goes on, he says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Then he says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. From the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Skip Heitzig, this another pastor that uh, Brooke Martin, shout out, pointed me to. He says this about the Beatitudes. He says, when you start living this way, here's what will happen. Number one, heaven will notice. This is worth writing down. When you start living this way, the first thing that will happen is heaven will notice. That's why Jesus precedes every Beatitude with blessed are or blessed when. Heaven will notice. And, and, and that, that word blessed, I told you this several weeks ago, that word blessed is, is, is really more of a word that, that would connotate happiness, but not like, Happiness based on happenings, because happenings can change. It's happiness based on what God has done in me and what God is doing through me. We would say something like internal joy, maybe. Joyful are you when you're persecuted. Joyful are the poor in spirit, or happy are. So when you start living this way, and you start embodying these beatitudes, number one, heaven will notice and you will be blessed because of that. Number two, people will notice. People will see something that's different in you. That's why Jesus says after, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. He says, because then you will be called children of God. Notice it doesn't say you're gonna get to call yourself a child of God. That's already been done for you. You don't have to earn that. You don't have to pursue that. John 1.12 says that to all who believed him, they have been given the right to be called children of God, to become children of God. That is, that is not something I can attain. That is only something I can receive. But what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 5 is that when you embody these beatitudes and, and culminating with peacemaker, people will see the change in your life and they will say, you are a child of God. There's something different about you. <clears throat> so heaven will notice, people will notice. And number three, hell will notice. And that's why Jesus says if you live this way and you pursue all of these things, and you allow me to transform you from the inside out, you will be blessed. And you will make an impact in the people's lives around you. But you can also count on persecution. Because as soon as you start giving hell trouble, hell will try to give you trouble as well. And might I suggest to us today that some of the reasons why we do not know what real persecution is like is because we haven't given hell enough trouble lately. 
That is not a dig at you. That is a say, I'm including myself in that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know what I'm talking about. Come on, y'all already know where I'm going. You, you already know. You could get up here and preach the rest of this sermon right now, couldn't you? Some of y'all are like, I don't get it. What's he talking about? I prefer to call them Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah because that's their Hebrew names, not their Babylonian names. They were aliens in a foreign land. Now, you may not know this, but you are also an alien in a foreign land. I'm not talking about the ones of you that just moved from California. I'm talking about anybody who follows Jesus as Lord and Savior. Peter says it like this, that this world is not your home, so don't get cozy in it. That's essentially what he says. They were residents of Israel, specifically of Jerusalem, till the Babylonian Empire invaded and exiled or actually took them hostage and took them back to Babylon. And you can go read about this in Daniel chapter 1. And in Daniel 1, we see that these three men plus Daniel were paraded uh, in front of Nebuchadnezzar, in front of the royal like council that he had, and they were chosen to, to serve in the Babylonian government in some capacity. And they were exiles in a foreign land, just like you and I are today. Or maybe I should say, similarly like you and I are today. They lived a life that even though the Beatitudes hadn't been spoken yet by Jesus, in essence, though, embodied what Jesus would come to say. And because of that, heaven noticed them, right? You should, go, you should really go read this in Daniel if you haven't read it recently or haven't read it before. In Daniel chapter 1, we have this uh, story about how the, they saw these four men and how they were just so much better than everybody else around them. They were smarter. They were stronger. They, they were even better looking, kind of like AJ. You know, they, were just, they just stood out from the crowd. I'm trying to give you props, man. You should be excited about that. They refused to compromise what they knew to be right, what they knew to be true, even in the smallest of ways. I love, I love this in Daniel 1 where they are to be fed the, the king's meat and, and to drink the king's wine. And Daniel comes to the chief priest and he says, hey, um, can we just eat vegetables and drink some water instead of partaking of this food that had been sacrificed to idol gods? And, and long story short, he makes the deal and says, yeah, okay, we'll allow that. And 10 days later, uh, they look at these four men and realize that even though they have been eating what they, would have be, what they would have considered to be a less than diet, they are healthier than everybody else. But but what set Daniel apart wasn't his diet, it was his obedience. Because he knew that even, he says in Daniel 1.8, that Daniel resolved within himself to not defile himself by partaking of the king's meat and wine. The King James says that he purposed in his heart that even in the smallest things that Daniel, and you got to remember, they're not the only Jewish people, they're not the only Hebrews in Babylon right now. There's a whole host of them, but apparently they were the only ones who said, we do not want to partake of that. And because of that, God blessed them. You can read in Daniel 3, you can see how 
that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been promoted to serve as part of the government structure of King Nebuchadnezzar. Even though heaven noticed and even though they were promoted, hell also noticed, right? Because anytime you kick back against the gates of hell, the gates of hell are going to try to kick back at you as well. And so we get to Daniel chapter 3, which is probably, if I had to guess, maybe outside of Noah's Ark, the best kids' church illustrated sermon there is, right? I, I'm going to give it number one. Who's on... Who's with me? I think it's number one, right? In Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar's built this about a 90-foot-tall statue of himself, and he wants to get all of his government officials to come, and they're going to blow trumpets, and they're going to have this big celebration, this big party, and at the, the sound of all the trumpets and the horns and all the musical instruments, that everybody, every, all these people are going to bow down and, and worship this 90-foot-tall statue that Nebuchadnezzar has made of himself. And the word says that as soon as the trumpets blew, that everybody bowed down except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And the, the prefects and the governors and the satraps, I don't know what those words mean, but that's what it says, that they saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they grabbed them up and they took them to Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, hey, they're not bowing down, they're not worshiping this statue. And Nebuchadnezzar apparently knew these people. He knew them. He calls them by name, and he says, I, I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to give you a second chance because I like you. But if you do not bow down and worship this statue, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, right? I love that. Fiery furnace. It's not just a furnace. It's a fiery furnace, right? And, and, and so, so they look at him and they say, we do not even need to give defense to you in this matter because you know us and you know we won't bow down and you can go ahead and throw us in that furnace and the God that we serve is able to rescue us. But guess what? Even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to that idol statue. And many of us, we would say that in the big things in life, yeah, I'm going to serve God, but you will not serve God in the big things if you will not resolve in your heart to serve God, him in the small things. We talk all the time about, you know, this, maybe this is more of a youth group thing. We would talk all the time about, you know, man, if somebody, somebody said, hey, it's either your life or Jesus, man, I'd follow Jesus. But, you know, I won't get up 30 minutes earlier to read my Bible. I mean, when's the last time you opened it? I'm just asking. Somebody, today, right now, it's open right now. It's in my lap. I'm not trying to beat up on you. I'm just trying to tell you that, that don't celebrate serving God in the big things if you will not be obedient to him in the small things that people won't celebrate. Heaven noticed them, and they were promoted. Hell noticed them, and they were persecuted, right? But then people also noticed them. So you guys probably know the story. Nebuchadnezzar has them thrown in the fire. The Bible says that the men who, who took them up to the fiery furnace, I don't really know what it looked like, but I'm assuming they had to go up something, and then they fell in, that they actually died because the fire was so hot it killed them. And so they're, they're in the furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar looks, looks in, and he says, didn't we throw three people in there? I see one that looks like a son of God in there. And he calls out to him and he says, hey, come out. You know, what's going on? And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come out of the furnace. 
and the Bible says that the robes didn't, they weren't burned, that, that their, their hair wasn't singed, that the only thing that was gone was the ropes that had entangled them, that had bound them, not even the smell of smoke was upon them. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 28 of chapter 3. He says, praise be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servant. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. Y'all, this is intense. This is the part we leave out of kids' church. We, trans we paraphrase that differently. And their houses shall be uh, turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So they were already serving in his royal court, but he said, you know what? Because of your faithfulness to your God, because of your refusal to compromise in the small things and then even in the big things, heaven noticed and then hell noticed. But even because you stayed true to what was right, what, what God had called you to do, people notice. And Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most wicked people to ever live, literally gives praise to God because of their witness, because of their obedience, because of their faithfulness. Peter, he says, you're like aliens in a foreign land. He also says, for us to live such a life among the people of this world that, that they won't be able to say anything bad about us. And because of that, because of the way we, we live our lives, that, that they would be won over to following Jesus because of what they see in us. And Jesus said it this way. You go, the Beatitudes are technically Matthew 5 through 12. But if you go on to verse 13, uh, Jesus says it like this. He says, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and to trampled underfoot. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and he gives light to everyone in the house. In verse 16, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, Matthew 5, 16. I don't understand what it was like to live in this day and age like somebody who is very historically informed would. But I do know two things. Number one, Salt was used to preserve food more than it was to give flavor to food. And light, unlike the way it is for us today, was a scarce commodity. When the sun went down, people went to bed because they couldn't do anything else. But that's not the world we live in today, so we struggle to understand this. And so Jesus is essentially saying, this world is dying, it's rotting away. Because if you were to take a cut of meat and without refrigeration back then, 2,000 years ago, the only way you could preserve it 
The only way you could keep it from going bad, the only way you could keep it from spoiling would be to cover it in salt, which would remove the moisture and preserve it. So then that, that cut of meat could then be used to, to nourish someone else in the future, right? And so if Jesus is calling us salt, he is essentially saying, hey, this world is rotting away and you are on mission to bring life where there is currently death. And if he's calling us light, what he is saying is that this world around us is shrouded in darkness. At that time, literally and spiritually, just as it is spiritually today. And so you are to be the light of the world, pointing the way. So you are to bring life, and then you are a point to the one who gives life. In other words, that people would see the work of God in you where heaven has noticed, and yeah, hell has noticed as well. But you know what? People will also see you, and they'll see your good works, and they'll call you a child of God, and they will give glory to your Father in heaven because of the good work they see in you. Not because we keep a list of do's and don'ts, not because we know the Bible better than other people know the Bible, but because we have had an encounter with somebody who has changed us from the inside out. Because we have fallen in love with the one who first loved us. Come on, church, you with me? So we are to be different. We have to be different. We have to be different than this world around us. We don't worship the way this world worships. This world worships wealth. This world worships security. This world worships things that are meant to bring peace, but we worship the Prince of Peace. We don't live our lives the way the world lives their lives. According to the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, we are to live our lives as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him. And then he goes on in verse two, he says that we are not to be conformed to the ways of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're, we have to be different. And then we are to also be noticed. And a lot of people struggle with this because they say things like, you know, my faith is just between me and God. I understand the sentiment, but if you were speaking of the God of the Bible, then you, you, that's not who your faith is in. Because there's no way you can have private faith if you follow Jesus. There's no such thing. They are mutually incompatible. Faith in Jesus must be public. That is why we get water baptized and we do it in front of people. It's, it's not that water baptism saves us. It's that water baptism is the proclamation that we have been saved, that we have been transformed. That's why you can't say, oh, you know, when I go to work, I'm just going to keep my faith to myself. Now, I'm not saying go to work and walk around with your Bible and when somebody says a dirty word, you call them out and tell them, God, they're going to hell. That's absolutely not what I'm saying, right? I've tried it, but it doesn't work well. 
It's a very bad evangelism strategy. Now, let your light shine. Let me say it like this. Let the world see how you love your kids. Let the world see how you love your spouse. How you cherish them. How you don't talk bad about them to your friends. How you don't dog them behind their back or always expect or think the worst. Come on, this is getting real now. Let the world see how you love your children and how you uplift them. How you, how you brag on them to people. How you brag on them to them. Oh, they're not perfect, but you're not either. Your heavenly father still wants to brag on you though. Come on, if you wrote him a, a letter, if you drew him a picture, he would stick it on the refrigerator. Come on, so yeah, that's what he thinks of us. So let the world see how you love your children. Let the world see how you love your family. Let the world see how you love your parents. Let the world see how you love your church. Hey, listen, we're not a perfect church and we never will be as long as you're part of it. <laughs> or as long as I'm here. Come on, does that make it feel better? I'm not a perfect pastor. And we're not a perfect church. But that's okay because we are loved by a perfect God. Right? This whole thing's not about perfection. It's about pursuing the one who is perfect. Let the world see how you love your church. Let the world see how you love your neighbor. How you stand up for people when others are dogging them. How you, how you give generously when you see someone in need. How how you offer to pray for somebody even though it makes you uncomfortable because you know that they need that in that moment. Come on, that's what it, that's what it means. Like that's the real world application here. Because if it just happens in here, but it doesn't happen out there, then it doesn't matter. It's all been for nothing. It's all been in vain. It's all been just a show, right? Come on, if we lift our hands in prayer and surrender in here, but we don't, we don't lay hands on people who are hurting out there, then what's the point? Let your light shine. Let them see your hunger for God, the meekness of your heart, the peace that you possess that passes all understanding. And Jesus gave us a guarantee in verse 9 of Matthew 5. He said, then they will call you children of God. Let that be your evangelism tactic, right? Let that be your strategy. So we are to be different. We are to be noticed. Number three, we are to be responsible. Jesus said, how can salt do any good if it's lost its flavor? Have you lost your flavor? Have you gotten stale? Has, has following Jesus become familiar and routine and stale? Or do you still see the wonder in his love? It's easy to let it become just something we do. And we're responsible to keep our flavor, to lead people out of darkness. And number four, we are needed. I don't say this to sound cliche. I say it because I believe it's true. My faith and my hope is not in any 
political leader or government structure. I don't care what color tie, what color tie they're wearing. You understand what I'm saying? I don't care if it's red, blue, green, whatever. They're, they're still a person. They're still a human. My faith is not in any, any law being passed. Because I know at the end of the day, any law that's passed can also be revoked later on. My hope is in Jesus. My faith is in Him. But very specifically, because I know this to be true, God will not do anything in this world apart from doing it through a person. So my hope and my faith is in God using His church to preserve what is decaying and to shine light on the one who gives new life. Is that, is that you follow that? And so we are responsible in how we live and how we love and how we give, how we treat people, how we treat ourselves even. We are responsible. And this is the message of the Beatitudes, that we are to be set apart that we are to live lives that are worth being noticed and that we are responsible and even so much to say is that we are needed. Jesus said, he said, it's good for you. This is him talking to his disciples. He says, it's good for you for me to leave, which makes no sense, right? Because if you had Jesus like right here, I don't want him to leave. I mean, look, Tell me I'm not alone, okay? I would say, no, no, actually, how about you stay and maybe I'll go. Like the world, what the world needs now is not love, the world needs Jesus, right? That's what we would say. You know, when I say, you know, what is the world? The world needs Jesus. But really what we mean is the world needs a church who is on fire for Jesus, who understands how they are supposed to live holy and different lives, who understands that faith can't be private, who understands that we are responsible to show the way to Jesus, and who understands, not in an arrogant way, but in an understanding of what God has said way, that the world needs me. The world needs you. The world needs you in your workplace. He said in Matthew 28, 19, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Share this good news. Make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You guys can stand. there's anything I want you to take away from our time together this morning it's not that you're going to be persecuted because here's the deal if you are living a life worthy of persecution you're doing pretty good there's not a lot of things I can say to people who are being persecuted for two reasons one I don't really know what that's like if I'm being real honest with you and two they'll probably be the ones that need to be talking to me encouraging me and teaching me. 
But what I do want to say to you today is that we would live a life worthy of persecution. Paul says it like this, that we would live a life worthy of the calling of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you, if you would go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes all around the room. I want to ask you one question. Do you know Jesus? Not the Jesus that said, Here, here's these list of do's and don'ts. Here's this list of rules. Not the Jesus that any pastor has told you about or your mom and dad told you about, but do you know Jesus for yourself? Because ultimately, following Jesus is not about being a good person. It is about being a made new person. So do you know that Jesus? If you know that Jesus, would you lift your hand high in the air? If you know him, if you know him, would you lift your hand high in the air? That's awesome. Now, for those of you that have your hands up, let me ask you this question. What are we going to do with that knowledge? What are we going to do with it? Will we sit on it? Or, we, or will we commit to being a people who live different, that have a faith that is public? Will we commit to being a people that are available to be used by God? You can put your hands down. Now, if you don't know that Jesus, and you would like to pray to receive him today, would you lift your hand? I see you. I see you, ma'am. I see one. Is there anybody else? I see you, ma'am. Anybody else? Anybody else at all? Church, can we pray together with these two individuals? Come on, repeat after me all across this room. Dear Jesus, I want to know you. I want to be changed by you. I want to live for you in everything I do. I want my life to point to you. Allow your love to live in me and through me. Be the Lord of my life and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we celebrate these two individuals? Yes. Come on. It's not about being a good person, right? It's about being made new. It's about his power living in me, living through me. Come on, church. That's why our mission of Lifehouse Church is to not go and tell the world that they're loved and highly valued. It's to go and show the world that they're loved and highly valued. Amen. Let me pray for us as we leave. If you're here today and you don't go eat fried chicken, I pray that, never mind, I'm not going to say it. Maybe that you have a flat tire. I'm sorry, I, I said it, I said it. Father, I'm just kidding, I don't mean that. Father, I thank you so much for our time together today.
I pray your continued blessings over this congregation. Next week, as we dive into our two-service format, Father, we pray for continued growth. Lord, we don't pray for more people in seats, God, but we pray for more souls to be saved, for more people to be filled with your Spirit, and for more men and women of God to be commissioned. Yes, to be commissioned by the Holy Spirit to go into this world to show them that they are loved and highly valued. Father, as we partake of a meal today, that you would continue to be with us then, just as you are now in our fellowship and our time together. And Father, we speak against all calories and carbohydrates in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.